0: You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Isn't worship always wonderful? It's always good to reorient our hearts and our minds. I think that's a lot of what that does. It reminds us who God is, reminds us of our place and how he views us. So, um, if you weren't here last week, you should possibly go listen to the message from last week, and uh, I'm going to kind of go back a little bit here today just to kind of keep talking about this. So, last week, we talked about, well, the message was about being transformed still, but we talked about Uganda, and we talked about what we're going to be doing in Uganda moving forward, and so I wanted to um, start by showing you... A little bit of the world if we can hopefully in a moment so if you guys have cards in your back all right there we are this is this is google earth you guys ever use google earth it's it's pretty cool actually this is an old picture it makes uh makes some things look ugly doesn't it <laughs> um anyway so this is us new testament church this is what it's Here we are, Messina, so why don't we zoom out, Jay, Um, so we all know where we live. Keep going. Go for it. Here's Messina. Zoom out. Starting to see the north country as a whole. You know, we often pray. Go down just a little bit, Jay. We often pray um, specifically as NTC. We always say from the Canadian border down to 90 and from 81 to 87, And kind of that whole square you're seeing there, the two routes and and down and above, there's a million people in that corridor. A million people. It's actually been that way for a long time. You know, some adjustments have happened, but it's pretty much the same amount of people in in the North Country, in upstate New York, um, that's been there for over 20 years, really. And so we've been praying for these million people for as long as I can remember. You know, we just had an awesome meeting this last week uh, with some of... Well, it was Don and Bruce McColey and uh, Justice and some, a few other folks that we've just been praying for the North Country together, what it looks like to church plant together. But honestly, the vision that we've had has always been the vision that Don Curry has imparted into us. Um, for many years, 25 years, he was our pastor. And, and so this is what we've been praying for. But you know, part of the vision of NTC is that we be, we're believing for the North Country and beyond. That's what we say. Because we just want to be open. Wherever God leads us. Well, over 10 years ago, he led us to Uganda with many circumstances. I kind of shared some of that story last week. And so I want to—I want you to be able to picture where we are. So obviously, there's New York, North America. And we're going to spin over. You can see just above is Europe there. And here is the giant continent of Africa. So Uganda is... Pretty much very central in north to south, a little bit on the east side. So we're going to zoom in on Uganda. I want you guys to understand where we always go when we fly over there. So it's, if you go by as the you know, crow flies, it's over 7,000 miles from Messina to Uganda. Now, unfortunately, the crow doesn't fly that way. So when you get in an airplane, you fly about 16,000 miles um, because you go way up north, we usually end up in the Netherlands, and then we kind of come way back down, and actually it's usually two or three flights to get there. Sometimes we land in, in uh, Turkey and then come down to Uganda, but there's nothing directly there. So this is Uganda. And when we fly in, you see Lake Victoria is uh, largest lake in Africa, and it's all in that bottom uh, southeast corner of Uganda. And you can see right where his arrow is, that's in Tebe. Tebe is the, pretty much the only airport in all of Uganda. It's where you land. And then we drive from there to Kampala, and that's maybe an hour, that little space there. Um, just, just really, luckily, luckily, it's an hour if we're lucky with traffic, because traffic there is, um, yeah, it's a special thing. So Kampala to Gulu, do you guys see Gulu? So he's going to start zooming in on Gulu. So Gulu is 208 miles from Kampala, from their main city. It's, it's the only other city in Uganda, actually. That's labeled a city, and it's the only real large city in northern Uganda. Now, northern Uganda was cut off from southern Uganda for uh, really 10 to 25 years, depending upon how you see it, because they were in a, a civil war for a very long time, fighting with Joseph Kony, who basically controlled the north. He had Uh, tens of thousands, I think they say upwards of 300,000 child soldiers that he enslaved, drugged, and made them his soldiers. The most brutal stories you can even fathom. They would come into a village of huts and they would take children and they'd make them kill their parents. And then they drug them up and out of guilt and shame, which is how the enemy always controls us, which is what we were praying for freedom for today, they would control these children to become their soldiers. And that changed a lot in 2008, 2009. Joseph Kony was forced out of the country, uh, luckily by the United States, uh, helping out. Pushed him off. He's actually still alive, unfortunately. I know that doesn't sound very Christian of me. Uh, <laughs> into uh, South Sudan and the Congo. So this is Gulu. This is the city of Gulu, and this is kind of the main area. If you see that kind of red roof, do you guys see that? That's the main market, and uh, I love to avoid that at all costs, because the smells are are just wonderful. If you like fish, maybe you'd like it, but I don't love fish that's been drying in the sun for a long period of time. So um, that's the main area that we spend a lot of time in, in the city, kind of the, the central area. Now let's zoom out a little bit. Actually, over here, where it says Peche Stadium, I don't think you can read that, but just over there, that's where the children's home was originally located that we took over in 2016 just in that kind of region now I also was talking about our land so I wanted to show you guys where our land is so that's over there and Jay's gonna yep you're good right about there up a little bit you're on the wrong road go up one more road oh up means drag down There you go. Sorry. All right, I can see, you see the shape, Jay? You're right there. Yep, okay, zoom in right there. All right, so, keep going. Yep, you're good. All right, so, um, you you see, go to the palm tree, Jay. You see it? Yep, you're almost there. Go up a little bit with your arrow now, go up. No, 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 no more, no more dragging. Just show, do you see the entrance, Jay? Yeah, over. Yeah, you're almost there. A little in the corner. No, you're there. You're there. Don't move. <laughs> <laughs> see how well, well we planned it? <laughs> yes, he's on it. That is a tree. That's how I know where our <laughs> land is. So you ask people where your land is, you've got to tell them by literally just landscape. You're like, go to this area, look for a very large palm tree, turn right there. Uh, they don't label things, right? So this is our land, and you kind of come in on that. There's a little road right there that you see on the side. And it's this this kind of, it's kind of got a few shapes at the top. Go ahead and trace it out if you remember, Jay. Yep, that's kind of our border. And then over, and then right down in this corner, yep. Show, those are some buildings that we have. A few huts, and actually there's a well just to the right of it. Um, yep, right there's a well that actually uh, uh, someone from our body gave us the entire money we needed to drill our own well, uh, which is... An amazing thing in northern Uganda. You see, we live in an area where water is never a thought. Water is every thought there. They're always thinking, how do we get water? Because a lot of the year, it's just not around. So you have to walk miles, carry it on jugs. This way, we don't have to go anywhere. And then we own just over to the corner and then down to where these little houses are down at the bottom. And then up, kind of. Yep, he's got it. You got it, Jay. You guys see the arrow yeah and then straight up from there so there's another borehole or well we they call them boreholes there Um, right there and that's a public one that we made access to and actually had been broken for years so we fixed it for the community and then there's uh, fencing right there so that's 20 acres you know if you can envision 20 acres size in, in normal life but that's 20 acres we're looking at and it's actually grown up quite drastically with uh, new buildings and some businesses in the area. So, you know, a paved road is is like a miracle there. And when I went this last time in February, we actually found out, you can zoom back out if you want, Jay. Um, We found out that the road that leads to, the main road that leads to our property, go up just a little bit, yep. So that road right there, that's kind of a main road. It goes by Gulu University, which is just off in the, Top left-hand corner, that is all paved now, which is pretty miraculous. And what it does is it changes the time and the connection of a place. Because So 208 miles from Kampala to, um, to Gulu used to take us, when we originally started going, eight and a half hours. Do the math. It's about an average of 18 miles per hour. Agonizingly slow for someone like me. In fact, when I hire drivers to take me, I rehire them based on how fast they drive. And it's always the faster the better for me. I don't even care if my life's at risk. I'm like, just get me there quick. And so now typically it takes us five and a half hours, which is still only about 38 miles an hour. And sometimes I've had a good driver that gets us there in about four and a half, and I'm like, I'll pay you anything. Now he drives very scary. Now it's a good highway now, Um, But it's not a highway. It's just a two-lane road. And the traffic rules are, if you're the larger vehicle, you get the (laughs) right-of-way. And so even if there's oncoming traffic and you're going slow and a large vehicle comes behind you, they don't care. They go around you. And the oncoming traffic, if if they're smaller, they have to move. And so you're always going off the road, back on the road, moving over to the side of the shoulder, all the while... Thousands of people walk the sides of those roads, or bodas driving on the very, very edge, a little motorcycle with people or animals. I mean, you can't imagine the things they put on these motorcycles. I've seen one with upwards of eight goats on it. I just think that's incredibly impressive. Um, So this is Gulu. Gulu. This is where we've been going for 10 years. This is where Kayla's going to be going in a couple of months, and this is where we're investing some of the future of what we believe God is calling us to, and the first thing for us to do to secure the land that we just showed you is we need to build a fence. We've had some fencing of neighbors have, you know, courteously cut it down and sold it, um... <laughs> So we need to put up a concrete fence is actually what we're going to do. Concrete posts, new fencing, and actually we're getting guard dogs to roam the property to, you know, bark nicely at our, our neighbors. Um, everybody's friendly, but they'll steal everything from you. Don't worry. So so we need to raise some money for that land. And I, the quote I got, I just rechecked it this week, was $13,800 to fence 20 acres with basically an eight-foot-high chain-link fence on concrete posts, um, and we already have uh, an employee that we pay. His name's Richard. He's been living on our, our land for probably four years. He's been doing farming there um, and different ministries that have been on the property through a few other church friends of ours. And so we want to secure this land. And one of the things that we ask you guys to do is consider how you're going to get involved with Uganda and so we have these cards in your seat backs in front of you and if you don't have a card in the seat back in front of you the ushers have them you could raise your hand and this is what I want I want all of us to be involved and there's no excuse you can pray you can give or you can go pray is the cheapest one so at least sign up for that but you can give and you can go, and there's some things you can give to. One is fencing our land, and one is we, need, we want to support Kayla. As our missionary being sent there, she's going to be wanting, looking to raise $1,000 a month to make sure that she's covered as she lives there. It's not super expensive to live there. That will take care of all of her needs. And so we're looking for people to commit to that giving. We're looking for people to commit to the investment on the land so that we can see God do something incredible. And then we're looking for people to go. And so we're going to have short-term trips soon available for you to sign up say i want to go i want to see what we're doing i want to see what god's doing in uganda i want to see how we're apart and then i mentioned last week i'm going to be taking a trip in november december and i specifically want to take people on that trip that are saying i will explore moving my life there and i think that's probably a very terrifying notion it would be for me and i've considered it many times actually I have love Africa for many reasons. I have love-hate moments with it. But I love it because I love seeing God do things in people's lives. I love seeing people who have nothing so desperately knowing they need Jesus. You see, in Western culture, unfortunately, we try to fill all our needs with everything else first. And then when that doesn't work, we're like, maybe God. Whereas they don't have those things. They don't have all the amenities of life that are available to us. And so they often run to Jesus just out of desperation. We all have that same desperation. We just cover it better. And so it's really an incredible opportunity. So um, as you, if you guys have these cards, why don't you pull them out right now? Wave them at me. Wave them at me. Awesome. If you don't have one and you want one, you can put your hand up right now. And they will pass them out. There's some people with cards. Put your hand up. All those that are desperately wanting to move your entire life to Uganda. I'm just kidding. Pray, give, or go. Okay? So we're all going to get involved in this. I wanted to show you guys that. We're going to kind of keep updating you. Um, I had a great conversation this last week with Kent Nolly, who is going to be using our land right now for some sustainability, for um, really a, a program they do to support over 100 widows. Um, in the area, and so it's really gonna be exciting just at least getting it used at the moment. And then when we start to do something there, we'll have land to work on and use for sustainability. All right, that's Uganda. I hope to see a whole bunch of these cards turned in, all right? Thank you. All right, now I have like 17 minutes left for my message. Speed preaching, it's a new thing. No, it's not, it doesn't exist. <laughs> So, you know, Paul once was preaching to the point where someone fell asleep in a window and fell out and died. So, at least we're on the first floor. <laughs> if you fall out of your seat, we'll get you. Don't worry. Now I'm not going to go long. Um, so, listen, we're going to continue in our series, Live, Transform. So, I want to start in a story in Acts 16. And, um, and I want to kind of roll through this today. We're, I'm really going to talk about baptism. Because we're going to be doing water baptism next week. For some people that have already signed up, and I'm hoping that maybe some more of you will sign up, considering water baptism and why it might be important. So Acts 16, let's read this story. This is 25, verse 25 through 34. And really what's happening here, Paul and Silas have been preaching the good news, but some people don't consider it good news, so they got thrown in prison. So they've been thrown in prison, they've been beaten, and this the story is basically that, you know, it's kind of a famous story with Paul and Silas. They decide we're gonna start singing and worshiping, even though we've just been beaten up and thrown in prison. And so that's kind of where the story picks up in verse twenty four. It says Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. This is great news for us. Now not all of us are in prison, literally. But sometimes people ask, why do we worship so long? This is why. Because I really believe when we come and sing songs and pray and lift our hearts to God. He wants to kick open some prison doors for us. He wants to help us get free from those things in our life that have trapped us, and I think worship is where it all begins. It's when we somehow refocus and look at him instead of just at the circumstance. It says the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. That's a drastic reaction. But basically, the reason for that is as a Roman prison guard, if your prisoners got free, they were going to kill you anyway. And sometimes, to make an example, they'd actually kill your family. So he thought... It was a noble act for him to kill himself in this moment to save his family. That's what was taking place here. He's not just like a really depressed guy and like, oh, I guess I should do this. This is like a really harsh world he's living in. And so he draws his sword to kill himself, assuming they had all escaped, but Paul shouted to him, stop. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. Okay? The jailer called for lights and ran down to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is a really incredible story. You know, let's not take for granted they were singing, earthquake happens, prison doors are opened. Now they could have just ran, but for some reason they stayed. And I honestly think, I love stories like this because what it shows to me is that God cares about everybody's individual situation. Because God didn't just kick open the prison doors for Paul and Silas to run. He also cared about what was going to happen to this jailer. The guy who was in charge of them being in prison who by all means in their eyes is the villain of the story, yet God opens these prison doors and thinks about the jailer. Because the whole rest of the story is about the jailer. So the jailer realizes they haven't left. He's excited. He doesn't have to kill himself. And he runs down. He finds them still in there. And he asks this amazing question, what must I do to be Saved. Now, in that question, I'm not sure he fully knew what he was asking. Now we can look at it as a, from a very spiritual point of view because we use this terminology: being saved, being born again. But I don't think he's being spiritual here. I think he literally is asking, "You, what? How, how do I get to stay alive?" He was just about to kill himself. Remember. In his mind, his life was over and now he's faced with these people who he sees some incredible miracle take place and he asks them, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't think he's even thinking about eternal life in heaven. I think he's thinking about right now. How do I live through today? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved and then listen to this, along with everyone in your household. You see, this is part of maybe what we wouldn't have understood just reading it from our point of view. He thought, if I kill myself, I'm going to save my household, but I'll be dead. He realizes they're still there. He goes down, he says, how can I be saved? Meaning, how can I still live too? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and so will all your household. See, it wasn't some ethereal, you know, eternity thing going on here that this guy was asking. He's saying, right now, how am I going to be saved? Because if you guys leave, or if they find out that all the jail cell doors were left open, I'm probably in trouble, and so is my family. So he's asking a very, very real question for his life in that moment. And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. So we don't really see what happened, but I'm assuming they left. And they share this good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the one they've been looking for and waiting for. And and the whole thing probably happens. It says, with all who lived in the household, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So This is really an incredible story. Yeah, it's about Paul and Silas getting free, but I think it's a little bit more about the jailer. The jailer who thought his life and his family's life was over, who is introduced to the story of this Messiah who's come to save them. And I love that because he has no background in Christianity or exposure to church, he just believes them for what they say. He believes when he says, yeah, if you believe in this guy, Jesus, you will be saved in your household. And so they do. But then they do this act, this thing that we've talked about At times, and maybe many of us have even gone through baptism. It says, and they were immediately baptized. And I wanted to talk about this morning. I love that story. But I want to talk about why is baptism important for us? And we kind of see a scenario in this guy's life, in his family's life. There's this, this place of realization that his life is over. And I kind of liken us all to this. Usually coming to Jesus... Starts because we realize our life is over in some way. Usually, people come to God when everything else has failed, when you feel desperate, when you're ready to plunge the sword into yourself. We're all just like this guy. We come to Jesus when we realize life is over, and then hopefully we get saved. We receive his grace. We talk about the cross and how God's grace covers all of us. And we get saved. But too often, we stop there. That's what this whole series is about. Living transformed. And I love how with Paul and Silas, they immediately say, okay. But listen, saved isn't enough. It's not where you want to live. You will live being saved, you will have eternal life if that's what matters only to you. But listen, there's more to it than that. And we should start that today. And so they say, we immediately, they immediately got baptized. So I wanted to share for a few minutes about baptism. So baptism in their culture was a semi-common practice. And for the most part, it was a very symbolistic but also public act. And so what was what would occur is the rabbis of their day would actually go around to young Jewish boys and you know the more important of a rabbi you were the more you were looking for in a sense the most promising young men who who could possibly replace you, who you could reproduce being another rabbi in. And you would invite those boys to come and be your disciples. So, you know, Jesus goes to the shoreline and he says to those guys out fishing, hey, come be my disciple. That wasn't necessarily a weird question for them. Now, it was in the context because they weren't boys. They were fishermen. They were from Galilee. And they had already been passed over. For them, the context didn't, didn't make sense. But the question wasn't that weird. It was a normal thing in their culture for a rabbi to come say, hey, come be my disciple. And when a boy said, yes, I'm going to be your disciple, and they would do that, there would be a time in, in their discipleship you know, following of this rabbi that they would be baptized by the wrapped up rabbi, and it would symbolize two things. One, a dedication to the work of God, and two, to who they followed. And so the rabbi baptized them because they would now know, oh, he's a follower of that rabbi. John, they would, John the Baptist, right, would baptize people. And actually, his baptism was a new thought to them. They called it a baptism of repentance. They didn't understand, well, why would we get baptized just for repentance reasons? And it was a new introduction of of a reasoning behind baptism. But most of the time, people would see John the Baptist baptized, and they would just think, oh, look at all of John the Baptist's followers and so baptism represents a few things but for us it actually represents something extremely important so we're going to return, we're going to turn to Romans 6 now Romans 6 I'm actually going to read almost this entire chapter I won't take very long doing it so follow with me it says so this is Paul and he's writing to the Romans and you know why I love Romans the, the, the book and uh, the letter really to those people is because it's written in a way that, that is more to you and I than, it, than the other letters. And I'll, I'll explain why. The reason Romans sometimes speaks to us a little bit easier is because we're not Jewish. And our culture and our background wasn't Jewish. So some of the other letters are, are to maybe Jewish people or to other contexts, but the Romans were oblivious to Christianity. And so when Paul writes to them, he's very, very straightforward about what it looks like to follow Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And I appreciate it because it it really lays some things out perfectly. So he says this in in verse 1, chapter 6, after a long explanation about sin and righteousness and grace, mostly about grace in chapter 5, he says this, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten? And this is where this is important for us today that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So if you've ever been to a Good Friday service here, we celebrate the cross. Now, I think maybe sometimes we over-celebrate the cross. But we celebrate the cross because it's the initial part of the resurrection. You have to die to be resurrected. You have to die to defeat death. And the reason that Jesus hung on the cross was not just even for those two purposes, but it says that he took on him all sin. And when that that word literally just means past, present, future sin, Jesus took on the cross, and then he killed it with him. That's a good, good thing for us. That your sin, the ugliest part of your life, the part that you don't want to put on Facebook. The part that you don't want people to see, the part that's deep hidden inside you that you try to hide from the world around you, the stuff that makes you uh, feel gross inside. I mean, we all have these things. He took that and he puts it on the cross and it dies with him. That's good news. So death isn't a bad thing here. In fact, This death is a very good thing for us. And he's reminding the Romans, he says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? So, baptism's main thing for us today, I believe is it's symbolic, but I actually think something happens. That when we go in this tank, and it's just water, it's not special, And we're making this choice in our life to literally die with Jesus, but we actually get raised to new life. And that's the purpose of it. It's to say that all those things that were once us, it's old and it's gone, and now I get to live new life. And he actually says it this way. We joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ Jesus by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glorious power of God, now we also may, I love this, we may live new lives. You now have permission to live a new life. And this is maybe where we get some things wrong. We think it's automatic. We think because I went through a certain action, or because I said a certain prayer, that automatically I'm going to be Transformed. But the truth is, we have to let it happen. (laughs) We have to let God work in us transformation. So even baptism is this almost initial moment where, where we are saying, okay, God, I want those old things of my life to die, and I want to be this new person. I want this new life you have for me. But he's really saying, yeah, you just have to let me do the work. You have to let me do this in you. And it says we may live new lives. We'll keep going down. I'm going to jump down to verse 7. It says, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So when we go through the waters of baptism, when we received his grace, when we, in a sense, died with him, it says we were set free from sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. That's the resurrection part. That's the new life part. Second Corinthians 5:17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I think sometimes in Christianity we just try to come to that place of salvation, the saved part. The part where the jailer just says, "I just want to live." And it's good. It's necessary. It's absolutely necessary for eternity. But then there's transformation that God wants within us and through us after that. And I think the initial part of us saying, God, I don't want just salvation. I want a transformed life. I think that's the initial part of that is baptism. You know, even Jesus in Matthew 9 says he comes to John the Baptist. And he says, Baptize me. And John curse argues with him because John realizes who he is. He says, You're the Son, you're the Messiah. I, I should not baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus argues back and says, No, this is what the Father requires of me. And so Jesus gets baptized. And as he comes out of the water in that moment, you know, there's this kind of miraculous, I'd love to have been there to see what it really looked like moment, but this says this voice from heaven spoke and this this something like a dove came down and landed on Jesus that was the Holy Spirit and the father speaks this is my son in whom I am well pleased and then from there we see the rest of Jesus life the three and a half years of his ministry the three and a half years of of in a sense being the Messiah but we have this 30year span before that that we know almost nothing about where he really is living as just a man he's he's working with his dad he's being a kid he's he's celebrating Mother's Day. And then he comes to this moment where he's baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down. The Father speaks over him. And then we see Jesus the Messiah show up. There's a transformation that takes place in that moment. Now, he was always God. I'm not preaching some weird thing here. But I'm saying there's something that initiates when we get baptized. And I think for some of us we come to salvation and we want a new life but we haven't taken any further steps to say I want a transformed life and we get disappointed. We're like Jesus where are you at? How come I'm still struggling with this thing? How come this, this circumstance in my life won't change? How come I still keep living in this same old cycle of life and he's like yeah how come you keep doing that? Take another step forward. Get baptized. Let me transform you. Let me change the way you think. Let me turn you into a new person. It's not just about that salvation moment. And he's calling every one of us there. You know, Paul writes a little bit further. I'm not going to go to that scripture, but he talks about basically that there's, in a sense, we will never quite arrive until we arrive with Jesus. And so there's this constant transformation that needs to keep happening. In a sense, we got to keep walking forward. Jesus, transform me. Holy Spirit, change my heart. Change my mind. God, renew me. Make me a new person. God, I'm struggling in this way. But yet we get caught in sin, which we know what that is. Missing the mark in our life. Missing the design God has for us. Not just a list of bad things. It's things that God did not design for us. And when we choose those things we get caught living in those ways, in this cycle of life, and we can't find our way out, I think God's trying to beckon us, hey, come on, let me transform you out of that. But you got to take a step. you take a, You got to move. you got to be willing to die a little bit. 2 Corinthians, or actually let's turn to John 12. We'll see what Jesus says about this. John 12, 24 and 25. Jesus kind of uses this little thought and he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it and those who care nothing For their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Luke 17, Jesus says it again this way If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. We come to Jesus for salvation, but yet we try to cling to that old life. We try to cling to the, maybe it's, honestly, you know, most of us just live out of habit. We live out of what's comfortable. And so we want to go to the same places and eat the same foods. Order the same thing off the menu, Elaine, Kesner. Because it's comfortable and safe. Sorry. We live out of this habit and so even when we, we see a chance of something new and we come to Jesus, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, you come to church for the first time and he touches you and you're like, Jesus is real. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want to get saved. I get saved. But this is all still comfortable. I'm going to cling to it. And Jesus is like, no, you got to let that go. And actually, harsher words, you got to let that die. That thing you clung to, that life that you wanted so badly or, or that made you feel comfortable, you've got to let that go because I've got a new one for you. You can't live a new life if you're still living the old one. With Jesus, there's only space for one life. And as I followed Christ for me now for a lot of years, what I've realized is every time I seem to think I have better ideas than he does. Until they aren't. And then I'm reminded. Oh, i got to choose his way. i got to choose his path. i got to choose what he's teaching me. I want that freedom. But I want to go Jesus' way. I want a transformed life, not just a life full of religious activities and duties, going to church on Sunday. God, I want to live transformed. I want the new life that you've promised. And Jesus has it waiting for every one of us, but it simply takes some steps forward. You want to go back to one scripture, and then we're going to end here in just a minute in Romans 6. verse 7 and 8, I read it before, it says this. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Maybe you found yourself trapped in sin. And when we read this scripture, sometimes I think we're like, hey, well, I got saved. How come I'm still struggling with these same things in my life? And this is what occurs in salvation. You're set free from the power of sin. You're set free from the power of sin you don't all of a sudden become some pure human being. You're now just set free from the authority and the power that sin had over you, just like the jailer over Paul and Silas. You see, sin still exists. It's still there around us, trying to beckon us into that life again. But yet what happens when we get saved is Jesus sets us free from it. He opens the doors and we get to leave. We're set free from it. The jail is still there. The doors are still on the hinges, actually. And we can actually remain in there. Now it's funny that they remain in there for a short period. But they actually have to leave to be free. You see, power, when you read in that scripture, in and, and some of the, the background definition, it says this. The capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others and authority over someone. So when Jesus breaks the power of sin, he didn't necessarily just break sin. And I think we come a little bit disillusioned, like, oh, God's going to take all the desire for me to do bad things away. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) But he is going to break the power of it. And now we have the authority in our lives, we have the Holy Spirit within us, to resist it. To take steps away from the old life and head towards the new one. And the question we have for ourselves every single day is how much am I going to cling to my old life? How am I going to let go? If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. I think Jesus wants to challenge us today. And I think there's some people specifically in here. You've been saved for a while. You want to follow Jesus. You've already made that choice. But for some reason, that's, that's all it's been. Well, there's another step. And I think it starts with baptism. A moment that symbolizes who you follow, but also a moment where you say, this old life is gone. And that in that moment, as we celebrate someone going in, bapti- in, getting baptized and coming back out, we believe for a miracle, just like Jesus, that there's going to be a transformation that begins to take place. Now, it's a process, it doesn't just happen like that. But you got to take steps in that process so I want to challenge you today. If you're in this room and you haven't been baptized and you've been saved, you should get baptized. I'd like for us to have so many people getting baptized. We don't really have time to spend on it. We'll just throw you in and get you out. We'll have people pray for you down here on the side instead. Because it's really not about what we say or what we even pray over in that moment. It's about what God is going to do in you from that moment on. He wants to transform you. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I don't even know if I'm saved. That's an easy one. Just say, Jesus, I want you. I don't want this other life. I give up. I come to you desperate, just like that jailer, with a life that's just been lost, and I'm going to ask you that question, how must I be saved? Do what they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. It just means, Jesus, I want you. I want what you paid. You can do that right now. You can whisper it in your seat. You can tell your friend. You can type it online if you're watching there. God wants to start that today, but He doesn't want it to stop there today. Why don't we stand? Your notes, I have these questions. How have we allowed sin to continue having power over us? Think about that this morning. What have you allowed in your life to continue having power? You see, sin has no power over you unless you just give it away. Don't give it away anymore. How are we still clinging to an old life instead of embracing a new one? I'm going to pray right now. and I'm going to pray that God does something in our hearts for every one of us. This is me included. I still have lots that needs to be transformed. That God needs to reshape, that I need to let go of and not cling to. Want to know my favorite thing I try to cling to? Control. I can control this. I can fix this. I can make my life what I want it to be. (laughs) Ha ha. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us, God. We thank you for what you're doing in us, God. But we also ask right now that no matter how many steps forward we've come towards you, God, maybe for those in the room or those watching online that are simply saying right now in these moments, Jesus, I want to follow you. For the first time, God, we ask right now that you pull them closer. God, that you'd let them see the nature of who you are and how much you love them. God, for those of us who have known you, maybe even just beyond today a little bit, God, I ask again that you would draw us closer to be transformed by you. God, put your finger on our lives in any way you want. We give you permission to invade every place of who we are and to say, you've been clinging to your old life this way. You've been hanging on to that thing really tightly. You just You keep going down this same road. You've got to move away from that. You've got to take steps towards me. And Jesus, I pray right now, even those in this room that have been baptized and have begun that road of being transformed, God, I ask right now that you would do more in that process this week. God, even today, that you would bring us closer to who we were designed to be as followers of you. And I pray right now that we'd have so many people wanting to be baptized next week, we wouldn't have the time to do it. To celebrate people saying, God, I'm not gonna just stop at the starting line. I'm gonna move forward in following you. I'm gonna move forward to this new life you have for me. And God, I ask for your blessing over every person in this room, every person watching. God, I ask for your peace over every family today, God, over every mom, over every situation, God. And God, I pray that joy is what would reign in these moments in our life. And we thank you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. If God's doing something in your heart, I, again, I always encourage you, please tell someone. If you have a card for Uganda filling out, you can drop that at the information desk at any time. We'd love to collect those. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.